Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing a number of UK equities as well as some major moves that we're seeing in markets at the moment. And to do that, we're kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Hello, Jonathan. Good to be back. So, Alan, we we discussed last week and and touched on very briefly um, the new super cycle in commodities. And and we discussed a a few equities um, around um, that particular theme. But I just want to drill down today a little bit more into one particular commodity that being oil, we, we've seen um, WTI, WTI oil, um, the benchmark in America, rise um, through the week, mainly due to a cold snap that we're seeing over in the United States. And that obviously causing some disruption there um, with, with, with the power supply and, and also um, oil supply there. That has actually led to some interesting moves, Alan, here in the UK. We've discussed on numerous occasions moves that we're seeing in, in the majors, such as um, Shell and, and BP. Of course, they've staged a bit of a rally over the last six months, as, as we saw yeah. the price in oil increase. But it just seems that this week, we've seen um, the UK's junior oil companies really spring back in, into life um, with, with this recent rally. I mean, how much do you think this is down to the price that we are now um, around the $60 mark for um, oil? That being a level that starts to bring people back into these junior oil companies, because this is a level that then some of the exploration projects once again start to be um, particularly interesting. Or do you think it's more um, the case that um, people are looking forward now and thinking, well, hang on, we're starting to see comments from um, the likes of Shell that they've reached their their peak oil production, that there's going to be an opportunity for some of these smaller companies to, to get into the market. Which way do you think it's, it's going towards? Is it more the price or do you think it's more the opportunity within production going forwards? I think it's a bit of both, actually, Jonathan. I, I think the uh, I think the thing is the, the macro picture for oil now, longer term, clearly... Uh, well, it's not necessarily in terminal decline, but it's certainly um, it's certainly uh, given the um, the burgeoning growth in the EV industry and the and the and the the uh, the, the search that's taking place for the for the the raw commodities to to power those vehicles. Um, oil is is certainly um, a, a valuable commodity, and I think it's very much viewed more nowadays as as a, a trade. A trading instrument um, uh, by people investing into stocks because there isn't the the long term future that there once seemed to be. Um, so so any blip um, in the oil price, uh, any squeeze in production, of course, is going to be it, it, it is going to be be pounced on by the traders. But nonetheless, um, uh, when you've we're seeing we're seeing this week, of course, uh, in the US, the the really severe. Severe weather over there has has caused um, has caused a, a problem with uh, with the with, with shale production. So um, some of the oil companies in the US that uh, 
could possibly take up the slack of struggling to do so. Um, and of course, we're going to be talking about uh, one one very small operator over there uh, uh, shortly this morning. But um, but I think uh, I, I think in regard to to uh, a production in the medium term. Oil is still very much a, a mainstay, um, but rather than a long-term investment now, it's viewed much more as a, as a trading instrument. So you mentioned there a, a company that we're going to discuss. I mean, we could discuss numerous companies today in terms of the move yeah. that we've seen this week. I mean, ones that are sort of standing out, uh, particularly Hurricane Energy. There's been some troubles there over the past 12 months, but it yep. seems that yep. some movement in the share price. Um, I mean, Oilex uh, had uh, had an agreement, not so much the, the move in Oilex um, being linked to the, the price of, of oil, but they've obviously had a deal um, that's that's been put on the, the table there. And we've seen a bit of a jump there. Echo Energy is one that we did discuss um, previously, which is seemingly on the march higher at the moment. But the one that we're going to discuss today is Mosman Oil and Gas um, Alan, as, as you mentioned, they're operating um, over in North America. We, we've, we've touched on it um, previously, but what's been the latest updates from them? Well, we had a production update uh, just to say that Mosman Oil and Gas are um, they're, they're operating and production facilities are in Texas. So, of course, it's the southernmost state. And um, Texas is, of course, it produces more oil and natural gas than any other US state, um, hence the glut of all companies uh, working and operating down there. Um, but uh, we've had unseasonably uh, cold weather there um, and, uh, you know, sub-zero temperatures. And, of course, the um, the operators there just aren't used to dealing with these conditions. So it's created power disruptions. Um, the uh, refineries across Texas have been shut. Um, and, uh, and, and I think up to... 1.2 million barrels per day um, has been affected by the by the uh, the, um, the 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 inclement weather. So coldest temperatures in 30 years as well. Um, by the way, so um, that of course has created its own squeeze. It's put a squeeze on production. Um, so there are opportunities for the big, bigger oil majors with production facilities elsewhere to take up the slack. But none, nonetheless, that is contribu- contributing towards driving prices. Now, um, Mosman on Gas, um, if we just look at the company, uh, it's currently trading at 0.16p. Um, shares have traded as high as 0.25p on the year and as low as just under 0.1p. Um, Give me a market cap of around four and a half million. So it is very much, very much a micro cap. But shares, shares are off 10% this morning following uh, um, a, a production update. Just to say that um, the, the company has in East Texas um, a number of, of uh, assets. Um, it has the, champ, the Champion Falcon 1 asset, um, the Cinnabar um, asset, uh, and the, the Galaxy asset. Um, and it owns various uh, degrees or, or, or various percentages um, of each uh, of, of each asset. Then we have the Stanley and the Greater Stanley. There are a number of wells there, um, and that's where the majority of the production is coming from. Um, and earlier in the year, the company announced the sale of the Welsh asset, which basically put $420,000 straight into the account of Mosmoron Gas. So the company are, are in a strong cash position at, at present. But um, the update this morning um, uh, uh, outlined the, the problems that uh, it was having in uh, in production, um, and it said that uh, 
um, the the COVID pandemic, heavy rain and severe cold weather um, are good examples of why uh, when you set your plan out at the start of the year, even the best laid plans uh, become destructive. And that's essentially what's happened. Nonetheless, um, in February, um, the the producing wells in Stanley um, generated an average production of 210,000 barrels of oil per day. This was at the start of February, um, compared to 139 barrels of oil per day uh, in the six months running up to December. So big increase in production. And this morning, um, in the uh, production update, that had risen to 260 barrels of oil per day. Um, so... So whilst production has been affected, it's still on the rise. And also the um, the uh, plans to drill multiple wells, both at um, at uh, uh, Stanley Five um, across the uh, and across the um, uh, Cinnabar and Galaxy projects, are still on on plan and on schedule to, to be completed. Um, there has been um, the the well at Falcon One which is the new flagship well, has been temporarily shut in due to the uh, adverse weather conditions since the 15th of February. Um, but uh, they expect to have it on production um, back at the weekend when uh, when the conditions are forecast to improve and warm up. And uh, with that well, Mosman has a 50% work interest. So so in terms of, of, of production, the um, c- certainly uh, the... the, the the, the broker is um, is very excited about the potential uh, um, growth in the company. Um, the, 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 the company broker is stating that uh, they expect to see uh, a 700% plus increase in production during 2021 um, with net cash at the end of the, this year of $2.6 million uh, um, as compared to $231,000 last year. Um, so that's the actual production uh, that uh, the actual production uh, uh, that uh, basically uh, underscores the, the value in the business. Then we have the Blue Sky assets too, which uh, entail two um, onshore um, o- onshore um, assets in Australia in the Amadeus Basin. Um, and in the Northern Territory, we have um, um, a we have the West Walker assets or the West Walker permit, um, which is adjacent to a, a producing field at Marini. Um, also, there is the the Mount Winter um, assets, um, which is a joint venture with West Market in, in in the region, and again that's cited between Marini and Surprise Fields uh, uh, producing wells. So, um, the the uh, the uh, research analyst SRK uh, calculates that that the assets there are going to be worth some twelve point four billion cubic feet of of gas. Um, uh, in, in 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 conventional terms, uh, in 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 terms of the actual total that's in the ground, there it's some incredible figure, uh, fourteen hundred billion cubic feet. So so that's that's a really exciting blue sky uh, uh, um, prospect there that uh, Mosman will be developing as we go forward. In terms of the uh, the people behind the business, we have John Barr, the executive chairman. Formerly uh, of TNG, also Thor Mining, Sherwin Iron, um, and Aquarius Platinum. Uh, the technical director Andy Cowell is XBP. Uh, also worked with Australasian Energy and High Peak Royalties. Um, and the geo there is a chap called John Young, 25 years experience with uh, uh, Bandits Gold and uh, Trek Metals on his CV. So um, 
Mosman shares have come back, as I say, temp, uh, by 10 percent today. It's a temporary blip in production, but it has produced um, or has contributed um, towards the squeeze in the oil price at present. And I think any dip from the uh, from the uh, levels that the, comp- the share price has seen so far this year um, are well worth buying into. Indeed, and I think you know, obviously the disruption there in Texas is no doubt having some impact on the uh, on the share price there because that mm. could provide a uh, a dip for for anybody looking to uh, to buy into them. So that's uh, that's going to be an interesting story, uh, and looking forward to seeing that develop through twenty twenty one. So mo- moving on now, Alan, we, we're going to uh, just touch on a company that we've discussed previously uh, again, and it's probably one of the most um you know innovative biotech companies in the UK um in in terms of the developments that it's had in the in the last year it's open orphan um what's the latest from them okay so open orphan have had an incredibly busy year uh, of course the uh, the company is driven by Carol Friel, who's the executive chairman there um Tim Sherpington is the chief ops officer but Carol Friel, um, has an investment vehicle and holds a significant chunk of stock in the business, and um, and he obviously uh, is a major shareholder and um, and is driving the business uh, as you would expect a, a major shareholder to do. So, um, Open Orphan has a group of, of businesses. Um, it's uh, completed the reverse takeover of Venn Life Sciences, which is a contract research organization um, and Ven, uh, Ven, Ven Life um, uh, Sciences undertakes work for the likes of Ipsen Pharma and um, top tier pharmaceutical companies around the world. And if you look at the news flow of Open Orphan, it's just been one contract win after another or a contract renewal or an extension. Um, the, 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 the contract research organization uh, side of the business, business is growing rapidly. They've also got the genomic health database as well, which is one of Europe's largest data banks of rare disease, clinical and genomic data. Um, and um, and again, the, the data here is very valuable, can be sold for up to £3,000 per patient. Um, and then, of course, we have um, at the beginning of 2020, the company acquired uh, HVivo, um, and uh, HVivo, of course, owns the own, Europe's only 24-bedroom quarantine clinic with on-site virology uh, uh, facilities and uh, uh, human challenge studies. And, and this has really uh, put Open Orphan at the forefront uh, of the fight against COVID-19 and also, of course, flu with its uh, uh, flu camp resources at the at at the at, at, uh, at the HVV headquarters, um, but it's been very much at the forefront of the fight against uh, against COVID nineteen, and has been featured across the national press um, uh, pr- pretty well, pretty well every week, every month uh, uh, throughout the year. So the latest developments there. The, um, recently, we heard that uh, Open Orphan was expanding its um, its uh, quarantine facilities. Uh, uh, it had taken up um, uh, some, some additional rooms uh, across the road from the centre. Also has a centre now in Manchester too, um, and it's conducting human uh, human challenge studies into uh, in, into uh, to to uh, identify the most appropriate dose of the uh, of, of the virus uh, needed to so 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 they can assess the. Uh, that the patients uh, taking part in the test 
um, and assess them um, and, and obviously uh, conclude and, and fine tune the the dosage need for needed uh, uh, for for the vaccines. So we heard this morning the latest developments. The uh, the um, the the, uh, the uh, the company, of course, has a huge contract with the UK government worth some 40 million um, over the next few years to uh, to undertake these human uh, challenge studies. Um, and a independent, an independent research ethics committee had today um, uh, uh, approved the uh, approved the uh, the actual structure of the trials and the methodology behind the trials um, uh, going forward. So big step forward for Open Orphan. Um, of course, the company, um, the, the the Open Orphan share price uh, has uh, has performed pretty spectacularly throughout the year. It's currently sitting at thirty um, p. Gives the company a market capitalization of just on two hundred million. Um, and uh, in terms of in terms of their numbers, I mean, if we look at that um, over the year, the shares were trading at five point nine p five five point nine p about this time last year. So that's um, that's a, a bagger increase by any standards. Um, the even so, um, it's still uh, it's still moderately valued in my opinion. Um, uh, I'm just going to give an example here. Um, the company has a joint venture on a COVID testing. Um, uh, on the COVID test with a company called Quotient. Um, they have the Mosaic uh, uh, COVID test. Qu- Quotient is a NASDAQ-listed company. It's uh, got a valuation of $680-odd million, uh, possibly more, in fact. Um, and um, it's it's turning over uh, numbers per year of $31 million, and it's loss-making. Open Orphan is turning over um, more... more co- We'll be turning over more money than that uh, uh, um, at the end of the year. And um, uh, Carl Friel has consistently promised throughout the year that the company will be um, will be cash positive, will generate a profit in quarter four. So we're in the run up to those numbers, and I think once those once we get the, the news on those numbers, I'm sure the we'll see this, the share price progress further still. Nonetheless, Open Orphan is a is is a very solid investment. And I think uh, going forward, um, going forward, it's going to deliver, continue to deliver the sort of growth levels we saw in 2020 during 2021. Indeed, very, very difficult to argue against that. Looking at the chart here, Alan, it's been uh, relentless over the past year and and with the the pipeline um, of potential projects to to come up as well. That's going to be um, something to watch going through the, uh, uh, the rest of the year with shares trading up at around 30p. At the uh, at the moment, so to finish off with the last company that we're going to touch on here, um, Watches of Switzerland. It IPO'd back in two thousand and nineteen. Um, it's one of these companies that was um, under the management of private equity for some time. They decided to go for uh, an IPO, and sort of looking at the share price now, that that proves to be quite a prudent move. We had a very solid. Um, 2020 in terms of um, the share price moves. I mean, obviously, after the um, sell-off due to um, coronavirus back in, in March last year, they, they, they saw their shares down at around sort of the 160 level, having been up at around £4. But they've really powered on now, um, trading at just above £6. What's been driving this, Alan? It, it's a fascinating uh, company, and, and again, it's. Um, I mean, if you're into your, um, if, if you're into um, 
valuable watches, uh, you know, classic watches, um, luxury watches. Then, then this is very much, very much the the uh, the, the the company of the moment. Um, but um, I think what's interesting is that uh, obviously I've 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 interviewed uh, various people, but um, I also interviewed a fellow called Paul Jason, the motorcycle broker. Um, just looking at the prices of classic motorcycles and classic cars. And I think you and I also discussed this too, Jonathan. There's the, the Coots Passion Index, which um, which looks at uh, the the uh, the rise in value of assets like classic cars and bikes and obviously wine and also watches too. And watches are one of the big risers. So I, I took a look at this company just to see um, uh, what the model was. And they're a multi- multi-channel luxury watch retailer. A lot of sales are online, both in the UK and the US. Um, something like 140 showrooms across the UK and the US. Um, and of course, with COVID, um, the, uh, the showrooms have been shut down, certainly in the UK. Um, and of course, they're, they're retailing uh, brands like Rolex, Cartier, Omega, Tag Heuer and Breitling uh, and so on. Um, the, the numbers from the group since they came to market have just been growth all the way. I mean, it's a, there's no other way to describe it. Um, uh, the CEO, Brian Duffy, has been at the helm. And, um, yeah, you know, it appears on the face of it as he's got a, a very easy job because they are just growing numbers um, uh, um, steadily year on, year on, year. Um, and uh, we had an update at the start of the month on uh, the quarter three update for full year 21 when Brian Duffy said that the company is well positioned for growth. Um, I should say at this point that uh, shares are currently trading at six, just over six six pounds a share, trade as high as seven pounds per share and as low as one pound seventy on the year. So that gives you some idea of the progress and growth, giving you a valuation of just under one point five billion. So um, it, it might be outside the scope of some investors listening to this, but nonetheless, you know this is a a solid growth story, um, and it's uh, it's something that um, it, you know if you're into your classic watches, th- this is a very good way to get exposure to that market. Um, so in the update uh, uh, at the start of February, um, they maintain the company said it was maintaining full year guidance despite all the UK store closures due to COVID. So that's that's quite some performance. So one can only imagine what would have um, what the performance would have been had those stores stayed open. The company grew revenues uh, by 6.6% uh, during the period to $272 million. Um, l- Luxury watch sales, of course, are driving the growth. Um, uh, this time, they represented 86% of the gross revenues uh, from 84% in 2020. So it's it's a key part of the of the of the drive for the company. Uh, revenues in the UK rose one and a half million, one and a half percent at. 186 million revenues in the USA grew nearly 20% to 86 million. So that obviously is an area where they're seeing real growth and that uh, they're going to be pursuing it, uh, uh, of course, going forward this year. So, of course, if the UK does open up later this year, the company will continue its expansion plans. Um, I, I would also like to say as well, this hasn't gone unnoticed by the big investment uh, uh, funds, the institutional investors. Uh, BlackRock have been steadily increasing their stake to 8.5%. Standard Life now holds 7%. JP Morgan, 5%. Um, so the, the, the big institutional investors are seeing the value here and getting on board. So um, it, it's, it's a niche place, certainly. But if you're into your luxury watches, 
and you want to get exposure to that sector, I don't think there's any better way to do it. Yes, yeah, just just looking here at the recent figures. Of course, you know some of the more traditional um, channels, you know, such, such as sort of tourists at uh, airports, um, they've that's obviously been been shattered um, recently. But you know, a very good example here of a business pivoting towards e-commerce um, and and seeing very strong sales. Um, I think that the numbers here is 121% up versus last year. Um, yeah. And that was for the, the 13 um, weeks, I believe, um, mm. the most recent period. So um, huge, huge jump there and obviously successful pivot into the digital side of the business, which I'm sure will will pay off for them going forward. Absolutely, but but I think I think as well as you rightly said, of course the you know the, the sales at airports and um, and uh, and uh, terminals simply isn't happening at the moment. But nonetheless, they grew revenues by six point six percent in the last quarter. So once we once things do start to get back to normal, um, you know it's quite reasonable to expect that growth to accelerate. I also like the fact that Brian Duffy, the CEO, has been there right from the inception in 2014. So he's got a unique understanding, a very deep understanding of the industry and the business and, of course, connections with the hotel industry. I believe also they made an appointment. So I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, that's right. Ian Carter uh, joined the group as chairman last October. And he's, of course, the uh, the uh, former CEO of Hilton Hotels. So so the the expertise they now have in place, I think, is I think we're going to see continued growth at the rate we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, that 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 sort of hide there would suggest that they're going to be really tapping into the luxury markets um, going forward and really sort of rolling out their um, distribution channels. So definitely uh, a company that's worth checking out there. So Alan, that's the, the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be here. So anybody listening, we, we've got a couple of uh, virtual events coming up at the UK Investor Magazine. Um, we have one on the 18th of February, uh, which is the Mast Energy Development IPO presentation. And then next week, the 23rd of February, we have a virtual conference that's going to be focusing on investment trusts and real estate investment trusts. So I hope to see you there. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.